Many of you have probably heard of the name Thomas Jefferson. Kind of a popular guy with fantastic handwriting. Thomas Jefferson, one of our country's founding fathers, had an interesting approach to faith and religion. He was known to be influenced by the principles of deism, which is a religious construct that points to God or a supreme being of some kind who is somewhat of a watchmaker who invents and creates and puts things into motion, but then says, good luck, you're on your own. I'm not going to interfere with your life. Jefferson, though, was very interested in the teachings of Jesus. He was drawn to them and fascinated by what Jesus taught and by what he said, but he didn't always agree with how the writers of the New Testament, whom he thought were unreliable and untrustworthy, presented the case for Christ. He was just concerned about what they shared in the Gospels. So Jefferson decided to create his own gospel, and that's exactly what he did. He took different versions and different languages of the Bible, and he just began to cut out the sections of the teachings of Jesus that impacted him, the ones that he enjoyed and the ones that he liked, and he created his own Bible. Jefferson would have loved the copy and paste feature that we take for granted today. He would have been a big fan of that, and it would have saved him a lot of time. Jefferson produced, and you can see the Jefferson Bible there. It's an 84-page volume in 1820, six years before he died at the age of 83. What's interesting about this particular Bible is that he took a lot of time looking at different languages, Greek, Latin, French, and English. Jefferson had the ability to compare different translations, and so he would cut out the teachings of Jesus that impacted him, the ones that he liked and enjoyed, and then he would glue down these different lines into four different columns. Greek and Latin on one page, and then French and English on the other page. Smithsonian research revealed that Jefferson's Bible includes, and get this, 12 types of paper, four manuscript inks, six different printing inks, and two types of adhesives. He was really serious about this particular project and would probably be encouraged or maybe disappointed. I'm not sure how he would feel that now you can purchase the Jefferson Bible on Amazon for $4.99 and you don't have to cut and paste anything at all. It's right there. Like many... Jefferson had a life struggling with religion and faith. And what does all of this mean and how do I use it in my daily life? Yet he loved some of the teachings of Jesus. And like many, Jefferson grappled a little bit with the Bible. 
What do we do with this book? It's intriguing. It's complicated. It's troubling at times, yet inspiring. And core to Christianity is this belief in the sacredness of the holy word of God and how it was breathed out by God himself and it is useful for us. As we are journeying our way through this theme called Rooted in Christ, we are beginning this journey by focusing on core beliefs to Christianity. And that brings us to our study today or the topic of bibliology or the theology or the doctrine of the Bible. This book breathed out by God himself. From a culture standpoint, let's think about that for a few moments when it comes to the Bible. It sure feels like, as we just survey the landscape of culture, that the Bible is not that important. And it is slipping in its priority in the lives of people and not really seen as something relevant to how we function today. Even within the church of Jesus Christ, culture may have more impact than the word of God. Barna Research shared some interesting stats about this, like the percentage of adults who now qualify as Bible skeptics rose from 10% in 2011 to 22% in 2016. So in a short amount of time, it more than doubled. And those who disagree with the statement, and here's the statement, the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. Okay, that's the statement. The Bible contains everything we need to know to live a meaningful life. Well, the people who now disagree with that statement rose from 23% in 2011 to 33% in 2016. Skepticism and distrust and a sense that the relevance of Scripture may not always speak to everything that we encounter in our modern world, all of these things seem to be on the rise. Here's our big idea for today, and this will frame our conversation. I would encourage you to take good notes and fill in some blanks so you can keep wrestling with our study in bibliology throughout the week. So here we go. Bibliology is a beautiful study that helps us see that the Bible is useful and something God uses to prepare us or to prepare his people to accomplish his purposes. So if you get anything, I hope you walk out of here in a few moments understanding or at least wrestling with the reality that the Bible is useful and it is beautiful. It's useful for us. And it is beautiful. Let's get into some of our thinking points about this. Here's thinking point number one. The breathed out, or we could say the inspired words of God are for a purpose. 
And that purpose is to do more than just give us information about God. Certainly the Bible does that. It helps us to know God and how can we connect with him? How can we know him? How does God think? How does he respond in different situations? The Bible does give us content about who God is, but the purpose is to do more than just give us tidbits and information about a God that we can't know everything about him anyway. So to help us get this, let's think about the words or the phrases breathed out and inspiration, which we can use these terms interchangeably. What does it mean to say that the Bible is breathed out by God? What does it actually mean from a theological perspective to say that the word of God or what we hold in our hands is inspired. Well, let me give you a couple of options, and then I'll tell you the option that I have come to understand to be what God intended with the phrase breathed out or the word inspiration. So here's option one. It's that God spoke out the words of scripture. So it's God speaking, and human authors happily recorded what God said. And God used different human authors like John and Peter and Paul, and there's a host of others, to somewhat mindlessly record what God spoke out. They were zapped somehow to record all of this somewhat like a robot. That's option one. Here's option two. God used the different authors and their personalities and their writing skills and their background and their life experiences and they were caught up in the purpose of recording what God wanted for them. I believe option two catches the heart of inspiration and being breathed out by God that he worked through human authors and their personalities and their background and education and their experiences and even their writing styles. Every book has a different writing style. You see that. And God worked through all of that as they were caught up in recording the purposes of God so that they could be useful for us. Now, there's also a purpose to this. There's a great purpose to this. And I want you to join me in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. With your Bible or your device, join me in this great chapter. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. Many of you have probably heard these words before. I've read them. I've taught on this passage many times. It's a foundational passage when thinking about the beauty and the usefulness of Scripture. So follow along as I read. It says this in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God. There's that word. It's breathed out by God. And guess what? It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the Bible was given to us 
It was breathed out. It was inspired by God using these different human authors and their background, backgrounds and their personalities and their writing styles and their education. God used all of that on purpose so that we would be prepared and equipped as the people of God to do everything that God wants for us. That's the purpose of Scripture. I love what scholar N.T. Wright says about this. In other words, the Bible isn't there simply to be an accurate reference point for people who want to look things up and be sure they've got them right. Now, we can certainly use it that way, and it's good for that. But he goes on to state that it is there to equip God's people to carry forward his purposes. So think of the Bible this thing that God inspired and breathed out using different authors who were caught up in this process of recording what God wanted for us so that we would be equipped and prepared to do everything. <laughs> I mean, not just some things, but that we would be equipped and prepared to do everything that God has for us. So think of the Bible as an equipping tool for us, breathed out, by God himself. Thinking point number two. Perhaps the greatest argument for the validity, the beauty, and the need for scripture comes from the life of Jesus, who held a very high view of scripture. And I believe when considering the reality of scripture and its validity, one doesn't need to go much further than Jesus himself and how he interacted with the Old Testament scriptures and how he used them in his life. It sets a pattern and an example for us. He lifted them up and he used them and that's the example for us. I would love for you to join me in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to see this play out in front of us here. Matthew chapter 5 what we find here is that Jesus is giving the famous Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon of all time. And he's saying wonderful things and people are listening and they're drawn to what Jesus is stating here. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Now, I want to pause there and say, if you'd like to highlight and underline, I would encourage you to grab those phrases, the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. It's really significant that Jesus said this. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So the law of Moses, or the writings of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish those things. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law, and that's another great phrase here, and we'll talk about that as well, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, let's go back to verse 17. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Do you see those phrases there, that was a common way in antiquity, in the day of Jesus, to talk about the entirety of the Old Testament. 
they would refer to it as the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. So this is a dramatic statement that Jesus is saying here. I've come to work through all of that. Theologian Paul Enns makes a commentary on this, and he says, in this rather strong statement, Jesus affirmed the inviolability of the entire Old Testament and thereby affirmed the inspiration of the entire Old Testament. So it's not an insignificant thing here in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus is teaching the crowd and he's lifting up the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets and recognizing them as being from God and I am here to work through them. I think verse 18 is also fascinating because there is this phrase, the smallest detail of God's law. The smallest detail is referring to the smallest letter of the law. You could even use it, and in the construction of the sentence, it captures the idea of the smallest detail of the smallest letter. So all of those little things, even the little markings, they matter and they are important. One scholar made a comparison to that phrase and the English language by comparing the O and the Q. Very similar letters. The differentiation on the Q is a very small marking. But that small marking means a world of difference. It changes the letter from an O to a Q. And that's kind of what is happening here. The smallest detail refers to the smallest letter or the smallest detail of the smallest letter. All of the markings of the Old Testament, they matter. And Jesus is lifting this up as important. We don't have time to read through these passages, but just think about this. In Matthew chapter 4, just a chapter before what we read, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Satan himself, the great enemy of God, approaches Jesus on earth and begins to tempt him. And Jesus does something that is quite interesting. He uses scripture to refute what Satan is throwing at him. In that moment, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8 in telling Satan that he is wrong and get lost, you loser. Be gone. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 42 in talking about how the Gentiles will be included in God's great program of redemption, which is great news. Like everyone's in on this great plan. And Jesus goes back to Isaiah chapter 42 to talk about that in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus quotes from Psalm 118 in talking about how the Messiah would be rejected he wouldn't be accepted, but he would actually be rejected. Jesus, and by the way, those are just a few instances here. Jesus had a very high view of scripture and he used it in his life. It does not make good sense that followers of Christ should hold a lower view of scripture than Jesus himself. It just doesn't make good sense. That's thinking point number two. 
Here's the third thinking point, and that is shifting from a functional or I better do this to a relational, meaning I am open to this. That kind of approach to scripture is beneficial. Now let's kind of unpack that because what does it mean? Well, Robert Mulholland Jr. wrote a book called Being Shaped by the Word of God. It is a fantastic book. I highly recommend that you grab it because the whole emphasis of the book is on the relational reading of Scripture and how we don't do this because we have to, but we do it to open our hearts to being shaped by what we find there, even when we disagree with it, and even when we don't like it, and even when it is counter to our culture. We have to allow ourselves to be relationally shaped by the Word of God. It's a fantastic book. I would encourage you to get it and wrestle with what's found there. In the book, he asks two different questions that I think are profound and will help us think through this. So here are the questions. Are we seeking to use the scripture, seeking a technique or a methodology that will somehow draw us closer to God? Or in a way, are we trying to master the text? Like, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I need to know it. I have to know it. Or are we open to the mystery that we may not be able to fully understand it and we trust God and we move forward in faith? So are we seeking to master the text? Or the opposite of that, and the second question, is are we allowing the text to master us? Or do we come to the scripture to open, to yield, to submit to humble ourselves in the presence of God and allow him to speak to us and then obey. So how are we approaching scripture? Is it somewhat of a functional, like I have to do this? I have to read the word of God. I've got to do it at least five days or whatever you may choose. I have to do this. Or is there a relational approach where I'm opening my life and my heart to being shaped by what is found here and then I will obey? I think sometimes we approach the Bible as a functional part of our friendship with God. And I would say I do this as well. I have to read the word of God. And if I don't read the word of God on this particular day, then God's gonna be really upset with me and he's gonna be mad and I don't want God to be mad at me. I want the blessing of God in my life. So I will do this because I have to. I have to. And somehow this will make God really happy. And then when we miss occasionally, you know what happens, right? Guilt. More guilt heavier guilt, and it just kind of crushes us, pounds us into the ground, and we really don't move forward in being fully formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others because we're approaching it. I have to do this, and the guilt comes, and eventually we'll fail because we are humans, and then we give up. I think there is a better approach to scripture and that's from the relational standpoint. I'm gonna open this up and it's not that I have to, but I want God to speak to me and so I'll be shaped by the word. Shifting from a functional, I have to do this, to a relational, I'm gonna open my heart to God and what he shares with me through his breathed out words. It's a better approach to scripture.
Okay. Those are the three tank, uh, takeaways or thinking points. Let's get to our three takeaways now. And this is how we can live bibliology because this isn't something just to study or to know. Okay, God breathed out some things. Jesus used scripture and here's how we approach it. Those are good things to know about the Bible in terms of how it can shape us, but how do we live the theological aspect of the Bible or bibliology? So I have three takeaways. Number one, commit or commit again to a regular engagement with Scripture. And I would just add to this takeaway from a relational standpoint. Not that I have to, but relationally I want to connect with God this way. I know many of you are engaged in this, and that's a beautiful thing. It really is. Keep at it and keep opening your heart to what God wants to say to you through his word. Maybe you started some type of relational reading plan, but you're just not doing it anymore. anymore. You know, it's okay. Just commit again to what God wants for you. And if you're looking for a start, I would encourage you to check out the Monday through Friday reading plan that we post in our talk notes. You can find it on the app. You can see it on our social media. I think this is a great way to engage with a few of the texts that we even discuss on Sunday morning. And let me read them again in their fuller paragraph, in their fuller context. And what does God have for me here as I relationally engage? Can I share with you how I see this happening at Valley Point, as a way to encourage you with the engagement of people in Scripture? Can I encourage you that way? All right, I'm going to do it anyway. So get this. This should look familiar to you because it's what we see on the back walls and symbolizes being rooted in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. And what we did back in January, if you were here for that, we talked about claim a verse, get a verse or two. And once you have that for the year that you can anchor your soul on for everything that happens, just write it on the back wall. On the roots and the leaves, people are inventing new spots over there and putting their names and verses down. It's beautiful. Well, the other thing we did in the process is we asked our children, our youngest attenders, to do the same thing. And so that same image was created on this canvas. And what you see here are the youngest attenders in our church saying, here's my verse or my verses. And I'm going to put it down on the display. And they may not understand it all or even get the totality of the verse, but that's okay. That's okay. They're choosing to engage in scripture. And I think this is a beautiful representation of what we see in the youngest people here at Valley Point Church. You know, I, sometimes we complain about the next generation, don't we? Like, oh, they have it so easy. You know, we walk uphill, you know, the whole thing, right? We say this. We do. But let this be an inspiration to you that the youngest attenders at our church they took it upon themselves to say, you know what? Here's Kyle and Proverbs 3, 5. Wow. Do you know what Proverbs 3, 5 says? 
talks about trusting in God as you walk with him. It's a beautiful verse. And boy, if, if Kyle gets that and does that as a young kid, our church is going to be in great shape for many years to come. So let this be an encouragement to you that our youngest attenders, okay, the youngest ones are engaging in this and doing a great job. I would say if you haven't had the opportunity to pick your verse for the year, please do that and write it down on the wall. We want to populate these displays as a way to encourage everybody here that we're engaging with scripture in a relational kind of way and asking God to use his word to shape us. That's just one example. Let me share another one with you. I think this one's incredible. So there is a college freshman in our church, his first year of college, and he's away from home. And I think many of you know the challenges of being in school. It's really hard especially on a secular campus, to make a stand for Christ. That's just, you know, you're going to be out if you do that because of the sway of culture. But wouldn't you know, we have at least one young person who is really an adult now and, you know, stepping into their future. And during our Life Verse series, they posted on social media and tagged me and Valley Point Church. Bold move, right? Like if you're tagging your pastor and your church, people are going to figure that out at some point. Like, oh, you're one of those, right? But this particular freshman felt compelled to say, you know, here's some of the things that I am doing in relationship to a relational approach to scripture. And you can see on the screen what he chose to do. He made a bracelet, Life First 2022, and then on the other side of the bracelet, yeah, there you go. There's this verse for the year. Psalm 119, just a beautiful chapter in scripture that's all about the value and beauty of the word of God. That's Psalm 119. Ton of verses there. And I share this with you just because I'm super proud of what God is doing in the lives of young people. And this should be a, a wonderful example to all of us of how the word of God is active and it's living and it's real and we need it. And so many of you are doing this, including our youngest attenders and our college students. So let this be an encouragement to you to step into again committing to relational engagement in scripture. Okay, that's takeaway number one. Here's number two. Review your life verse. Maybe you've already forgotten it back in January. I'm not sure if you have forgotten it. Pull it back out again and read it. If you need to go back to the wall and look at the tree and find it again, do that. If you haven't picked anything, please pick a verse to stand on for the year that will engage you with the heart of God and write it down so that you can keep going back to that. These are to serve as reminders for us of the beauty of bibliology. This is, these are theological pictures for us. It's great. Let's keep engaging that way. And then takeaway number three, engage with scripture as an act of loving obedience to the God who breathed out words of wisdom to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And let me just say this. 
Maybe your relationship with the Bible is troubled or complex. And you're not so sure about these breathed out words from God because your story is one of someone using the Bible itself to berate you, to judge you, to critique you and something that's happened in your life or something that you've done. And you've had someone use this somewhat as a weapon. And that has caused you to turn away from it a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm just not so sure. That happens to a lot of people, sadly. If that's you, can I just encourage you? Try again. Try again. Try again. It's worth it. Because, back to the big idea, bibliology is a beautiful study that helps us see that the Bible is useful and something that God uses to accomplish his purposes. May God give us all the courage and the desire and the thirst to keep at this or to jump in again and know that the Bible is a tool to equip us to live out the purposes of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you just thankful for time today to look at another core belief of Christianity. And that's the Bible itself. In our faith tradition, we see it as more than just really great words. It's more than the good book. It's a book breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. And it has a purpose to equip us to help us. So God, help us to grab whatever takeaway we need today, whatever really speaks to our hearts, whatever challenges or perhaps encourages, help us to take that and say, okay, here's what I plan to do over the next several days to use this in my life. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment and just talk to God and say, here's what I heard you say to me today. God, all of these prayers going up to you. Work in our hearts. Work through these words being lifted to you. And help us. Help us as a church, as a faith community, to have just a deep love for what you have breathed out for us. The Bible is complex, it's troubling at times, yet it is inspirational. So help us to move beyond 
cutting out the passages that we like and enjoy and opening our hearts to being shaped by the whole counsel of God. Help us to follow the example of Jesus who held a very high view of Scripture and used it in his life. So God, encourage us to engage with you in a relational kind of way as we open up what you have breathed out for us, not just today, but throughout the week. Bless us and give us a thirst for this. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.